Hi, I'm Paul Swinfellow and welcome to another edition of Tech Interviews. So on this week's show, we're covering what seems a pretty regular event, uh, the excitement of a new release of software. Uh, and for many of you, uh, probably like me, who spend a lot of time working in the uh, the world of Veeam and their ecosystem, uh, last week saw a big announcement, uh, V11 of the Veeam availability suite and all that that entails. So what does it entail? What does it mean for people uh, involved in the data protection industry? Uh, and what does it involve for you as a as somebody architecting IT solutions? What does this new kind of uh, set of announcements from Veeam mean for you and, and how it changes the way that you protect your data? Uh, so what better way to find out than uh, have two of Veeam's global technologists join me today? Uh, and I'm joined by, uh, well, familiar faces to many of you who, uh, who uh, watch or, or listen to the podcast, uh, Michael Kane and Anthony Spateri. Hi, gents. How are you doing? Good. Good. Cheers, Paul. Hey, mate. How are you doing? Very good. We were kind of almost like going to race each other to see who actually said uh, thanks, Paul, first, weren't we? So, <laughs> yeah. None of us were. Yeah, it's a do the introdu introductions today, Paul, as I'm, I'm clearly on there all the time as a co-host. Yeah, well, you are as as we were saying before we started recording. You are on this show more than I am, uh, which is which is a bit weird. So, um, yeah, that's always, of course, the challenge with having three people on a call is um, remembering to say which one should go first. So, um, before we jump into it, just for people who may not have uh, ever seen you on this show or any other show or anywhere else before, um, why don't we find out a little bit about who you are and what you do? Uh, and let's start with Anthony, just to make Ooh, it easy. Thank you, mate. Hey, yeah, so. Anthony Spiteri, I'm a senior global technologist at Veeam Software, working in the product strategy group. Um, yeah, I've been with Veeam for how long, Michael, now? Almost as well, in the same team as long as you, about four and a half years now. Um, yeah. Gone very quickly. I mean, obviously, my background was in service provider land. So naturally, I look after a lot of our service provider products. Um, and then, you know, more recently, as we're going to talk about in the V11 release, I focus on some pretty cool headline features as well. So that's uh, me in a nutshell. Michael. Yeah, yeah. So same team as Anthony, as he said. I've been at Beam fast approaching six years now, which actually, when you think about that, that's quite a long time to be, uh, um, yeah. Um, <laughs> do a lot of content around over Twitter. The, con the content creation community is kind of what we first and foremost think about in our team. And then it comes down to, the wider community, our customers' feedback, all of that good stuff. But I think the thing that both me and Anthony love is like when it comes to around launch days, that's when we can really start shouting about what we're what we're up to, what we're doing, and and all yeah. of that good stuff. So yeah, and getting to yeah. speak to you, Paul. Although I get to speak that's, to you, quite that's a lot. that's awesome as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't do it as much, but I've I've done it a couple of times. But I think what Michael was saying, this is a, a great time for us as well in the team, because obviously it's a very cyclical thing. We these cycles in terms of releases have more or less been a year uh, for the last sort of three or four years, right? So we know that every January, February, we're wait, waiting for RC to drop for release candidates. RTMs and then GA and then we all scramble for contents and then it all starts again. So, you know, by tomorrow we'll be talking about what's coming in the Vnext version. So it's good to do the, the rounds just to talk about what's been the last couple of, you know, last couple of months of craziness to the release. 
and all the cool features that our customers get to sample now. So, um, so well, it's, it's good to have you both on the show. Um, and obviously, I can tell you both do podcasts a lot because, really, I don't even know why I'm here. Uh, you two are just flying with this, so um, so that's good. I've got I've got an easy uh, easy thirty minutes ahead. So, um, well, look, I, I want to kind of dive into some of the key elements of the V11 announcements and, and some of the things that were kind of core behind what's been developed in in these new releases. But before I did that, I, I was interested in your take on what some of the drivers have been that you've seen in the industry that have driven some of these kind of changes and, and some of these some of these kind of new technology shifts that we see in V11. So I don't know which one you want to pick that up, but, um, you know, what, what, what were some of those drivers? You go first, Michael. Yeah, I think first and foremost is going to be customer feedback. So one of our biggest roles within the company is speaking to customers, speaking to the community, understanding what, what we need to be doing from a product point of view and feeding that back into the, the wheel, product management, product marketing, making that then become the uh, well, and analysts are in, in that wheelhouse as well. But getting that feedback in and, and building that those features into the into the product or more so into the platform and how it works for for everyone. It's not just for everyone that runs vSphere or Hyper-V on-premises now, we know that we have customers across the board that are looking at different public clouds, multiple public clouds, SaaS-based workloads. All of that is feeding into the product strategy at, at Veeam. Yeah, um, so that is, is one great side of it as well. And we love the product feedback. We love talking to our customers, being that conduit. And what's really cool for us is that it's always hard to influence product and to say that you do influence product. And, you know, we can we can say that to a certain extent we have a hand in that. I mean, obviously, there's other parts of the business, R&D, engineering, um, you know, the execs that, you know, have a big say in that. And obviously, then the board and everything. But it's when you, when you see a release like this and you see a few bits that you've been kind of pressing for for a long time. Um, I know this release specifically is about three or four particular features that I've been talking with customers for a long time, putting pressure on R&D to get it in there. It's really rewarding to see them in there. Um, but I think just in terms, you know, Stringy, you were talking about um, trends. Obviously, I think what you see here with regards to some of these features really reflects the last 12 months with regards to people working from home, um, data being um, sort of distributed, but then also, you know, it's been created everywhere on-premises, home offices and all that kind of stuff. You're seeing the result of that change in the way that data is being created with regards to our focus on, um, you know, ransomware, um, restoration times, what we're doing with, um, you know, our transport modes. It's just all a reflection of the last 12 months to me. So we'll talk about that specifically with regards to the feature set. But I think we have seen what's happening. And I think when you look at the products and what we're going to talk about, it's relevant, really. Yeah, and I think it's, um, you know, I, I think it's always easy to talk about when listening to customers, isn't it? You know, and it, it, it's always easy for, for vendors and, you know, consultants, et cetera, to say that we're listening. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's always good to see that what you're hearing finding its way in terms of a solution, you know, because that does prove that you are listening, you know, because it's, it's easy to say it's a lot more difficult to do, uh, you know, and I think it, certainly from what I've seen in, in those kind of V11 announcements, you can certainly see the shift, you know, Veeam reflecting lots of those shifts that we're seeing more in general, you know, the, that kind of tactical use of cloud to start to address 
problems that are difficult to solve on-prem. The idea that people are moving data to, to multiple locations, the increased focus on data security. We're, we're going to come to one of one of my favorite features shortly that, that looks at the way of making sure that we're, we're locking down and protecting that data so that it, it can't then be it can't be affected after it's been protected, you know? So, so I think there's loads of, loads of really interesting stuff around that. And, um, and certainly, so, so let's let maybe dive into some of those announcements now. So I, I know we've, we've worked on this. So, for, um, you know, this is, uh, th- this should look smooth. Yeah. Um, so we're going to, yeah, who knows? Um, but yeah, so, we're, so we're going to kind of pick on a, a couple of the key topics that were talked about yes, um, during the launch event. Um, so, so Anthony, I'll, I'll kind of start with you. You know, so it's so one of those kind of key things that we saw Veeam announce yesterday. It's not something that's necessarily brand new to the industry, but I think it's something that you know is probably a great example of things that Veeam have been asked for for quite a long time. And it's great to now see it um, turn up in a product. And that's this idea of CDP. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about what was what drove that, and um, you know, and what what CDP from Veeam looks like? Yeah, and, and look, and this is a running joke within this team, and and a lot. Um, we presented this first set of Vmon in twenty seventeen, so it's been almost four years since we announced it, right? Um, so to say that CDP is is highly anticipated, long awaited from us is kind of an understated, um, but it is here now. So that's the important thing. So really, what we're talking about is the ability to protect tier one workloads at per second RPOs with low RTOs, right? So traditionally, we've been leveraging snapshot-based technology within, you know, within vSphere. Um, or, you know, people can, you know, use storage integrations to offload to make that snapshot a little bit more, you know, efficient. Or, you know, traditionally outside of our software, you do snapshot-based replication, right? And that's where that sort of asynchronous, quick, um, low second RPOs come into play. This has been a concept for a number of years. Um, a lot of our competitors have brought this to market first. One of the key things we wanted to work on with this um, implementation was working very closely with VMware, though, to ensure that we leverage something called the, uh, the vSphere API um, for IO framework, which is something that they released as a caching engine to start with, um, and replication was added later on. So we've been working with VMware really closely over the past four years to ensure that we've got it to a point um, and this kind of talks to why it's been delayed a little bit, but it also talks to why the time is right to actually have it released now. So we worked with them to increase the scalability, um, the reliability of the product um, in terms of the features that we do to intercept the IOs. And now what we've got is the ability to, again, drive a policy-based approach end-to-end, starting with you know sub set per second RPOs, sub-minute RPOs, you know, without using snapshots. What that means is we don't have as much stress on the actual VM itself because we all know that when a VM VM is is snapshotted, that stun process can impact workloads. But also what it means is that you can just drive every input and output that's coming within that particular VM gets copied across from the source to the target and sits in a journal. And then you can granularly basically fail over based on the RPO that you set. So, you know, it's really geared towards, and this is what we're kind of playing with, right? These tier one workloads, your top three to 5% of workloads, it's not going to be everything because there is an overhead to running CDP versus traditional snapshot based, you know, type of replication, right? But with this, we're giving our customers the option to go low RPO with CDP, maybe use traditional replication for your lesser sort of tier two workloads maybe go snapshot base point in time for that tier three workload. And by the way, and we'll touch this in a, in the in one of the features that we released for Scala Backer Repository, 
how do you then take that 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 data and get it off site for that long term retention? So that's where it's at. Yeah, and I think that um, actually, I think that piece you've just covered there. Uh, you know, and I was making a note as you was talking. I, I think what's important with the way. So I think it's two things in this. You know, I think as you talked about before, Anthony, that you know this is not brand new. That there are other vendors who've been doing this kind of stuff. But I think it's important that if you're going to release something like this into when we're talking about data protection, it's important that it's right. It's not important yes. that it's first. It's important that it's right. And you know, in terms of Veeam's case, and that's not to say that other people's implementations of this aren't right. But this is about making sure it's right for Veeam and for Veeam's customers. So you know, I think I think it's always better to release it when it's ready as opposed to release it when, you know, a, a, an analyst somewhere has decided you're not in some kind of part of some graph because you've not got something. Um, but if it's not a go analyst, that's just, you know, some, sometimes yeah. you see that kind of thing. And, um, you know, I, I, but I thought, what you know, what, what's equally interesting that is, is in that implementation in a way it's been done is giving customers that flexibility to, one, talk about CDP properly. So understand that CDP is only something that you probably want to deliver into those really, really key workloads. Because yes. like you said, there is an overhead, there is a cost to doing this. Um, but also to make sure that it's just part of a broader discussion. So it allows us to be much more data and workload fa- focused. So where we have a workload that we absolutely need to be able to recover almost instantaneously instantaneously in another location, we can do that. But where we're in a situation where we don't have, where our data doesn't need that kind of platinum level of, of protection, we still maintain that flexibility. So, you know, it's yeah. I, 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 was that in some of the thinking around CDP as well, making sure that flexibility and it was important? Of course, yeah. I think that's central to the messaging. We, we, we're really talking about policy as opposed to jobs. And in fact, in the backend replication in the actual console, you don't create a CDP job, you create a CDP policy. And then from there, we're driving the use of vSphere tags more. Michael and I have spent years talking about vSphere tags, like literally years. Um, but there's, and even if you guys saw the launch event last week, you would have seen, you know, part of my demo was actually leveraging vSphere tags to, you know, have, have VMs be added to CDP policies um, as they're created um, and tags assigned. So the, the admin or the backup admin doesn't have to massage and maintain the policy. He just needs to focus on the VMs, categorize it, and then it's basically protected up to that point. Yeah, so so I, I think so. You know, CDP is kind of a, is a huge topic because it touches on so many things in terms of the way you design your data protection policies. You know, and I, and I love this idea of policies rather than jobs. You know, I think that's for me the way that this kind of data protection industry and a data industry in general needs to be shifting. Um, but we've got an awful lot to cover, and so while I'd like to dig into CDP even more, um, let's let's pick on something else and and pick on something that was, you know, I, I think was um, something myself and, and Michael actually spoke about kind of just almost randomly um, a few weeks back and was one of those things that I hadn't actually realized was in V11. But it's one of those things that actually when you understand what it does, you know, you can see it. it's, you know, the, the implementation of this in V11 is opening up the possibility around securing our data to a whole bunch of organizations that maybe previously couldn't have done it. So I've given it a big up. So Mr. Cade, not uh, not much for you to live up to there. Um, so so let's talk about this idea of um, hardened Linux repositories, immutable backups. Um, tell us a little bit about that in V11. Yeah, so it kind of goes back to that whole flexibility, that choice, that simplicity, um, like ethic that you kind of spoke about with CDP as well. And that should... And it is like waving through the whole Veeam back and replication V11 launch or the, the product or the version. 
And um, yeah, just a bit of background on this is that obviously in version 10, we released the ability to offload backups into AWS S3 and leverage the object lock API within AWS, but also S3 compatible storage. So it meant that we could get that offsite copy of the data in an immutable state, which basically means that it can't be modified. It cannot be deleted even by AWS admins, even by your backup admins. Like it's completely air gapped and away from your, your production environment, if you will. So what we then started looking into an analyst played a huge part into some feedback around this, but also obviously customers was, well, how do we do that for the production um, or the primary backup location? And that's where the idea of, well, how can we, first of all, we have to, like we might think that, oh, we need to do this from a primary point of view, but then we also think, well, how does it play into every, like those ethics or those mantras that we have at Veeam around it being simple, flexible, and reliable? How does it fall into that space as well? So how do we how do we en enable all of our customers to take advantage of this? And the big thing there is you don't have to be a, a, like a Linux guru to be able to spin this up and start leveraging this. It literally is so simple for, from, a, from a setup point of view. So because ultimately what it's using is the baked in immutable flag or the chatter command within the Linux or Linux kernel to be able to do that, that immutable um, or the capability around immutable flags. And then what we've done is we've enabled the ability to do single single access or single sign-on so that you'll use it for us to deploy our, our service, the data mover service, which is what lifts data from, from A to B or B to A as well from a recovery point of view. But then we're never going to remember that, that access. So ultimately, you could, if you do know Linux, you could go in there, you could create an account, then give it all of the... All of the um, credentials and privileges that it needs. And then once you've deployed that service through, through VBR, retract that, lower it down to a much lower um, like privilege, and then it's never going to be stored by Veeam. And it's literally there from a recovery point of view and a backup point of view. But we never need to worry about that. So short on having root access, and this is why it's so important that that machine that you use, that physical hardware that you use, that needs to be locked down to the best of its possible ability. One of the things I mentioned was that if that's a physical machine that you have access, physical access to, and you don't need, and if it's just, if it is your backup repository, there is no reason why SSH needs to really be enabled there. And if SSH does need to be enabled, then put MFA in front of that so that you're, you've got some control about access there. But if it's a physical machine that you can walk up to, and maybe you do have to plug in like the monitor and do it physically, I, the more secure, the better in this instance, then you don't need SSH and you've only got access to the, the actual physical console. Uh, so the hardening of that and other Veeam components plays a huge part in this. But the biggest point is, is one, it's your choice. Like bring your own Linux, I think I mentioned on the demo. And pretty much any Linux distribution, at least that I can reel off in my head, but any Linux distribution that we support for our other components can be used, but also bring your own hardware. 
So you're not locked in to any particular storage vendor, server vendor. It's literally bring your own hardware, bring your own Linux, roll your own, dare I say, appliance that works for you at the time of purchasing. And then in three, five years time, when either the capacity or support, well, you don't have to go and buy the shiny new um, appliance. You can go and buy whatever fits your need and requirement for that. So that's the and the key part there is uh, the point of immutability is, again, to stop any modification, but also deletion of those backups while still maintaining the ability to obviously actively restore data, granular data or full data recovery from those those backups. But yeah, the key part there is the flexibility so just, um, of how much. Yeah, so, so just to ask on that, because, yeah, you know, obviously we've done a few shows together, which probably explains why you knew what question I was going to ask. But, you know, so so I think it's important that, that people understand what we mean by immutable backups. But but maybe one thing with that is, is because this is something that I'm seeing increasingly getting asked for. You know, people are asking for, I'm seeing it in tender, tender requests. I'm seeing it when we're talking to customers, you know, that, that people are interested in this idea of immutability of backup. So uh, have you got any uh, insight into why that is? Have you seen some drivers in the industry that that have, have driven Veeam to want to make this investment in the first place? You know, w- w- what are you seeing? So I think the biggest trigger is 2020. Not only did we see the human malware, the human ransomware, um, or we've still got it, especially in England, um, but also obviously a rise in ransomware attacks across businesses. And they got a lot more uh, like larger placement in the news. And we there's not one, there shouldn't be one person in the world that doesn't know about ransomware and how it, could affect there's a fitness a fitness app company um that that was obviously attacked and that was pretty that was pretty effective uh, across the the consumer world so it's on everyone's mind and i've always said it's inevitable that everyone's going to get an attack by ransomware as well um so we should be prepared for that and i think Again, we rewound because the easy button for us would have been, well, let's just make it our own appliance. Let's do the easy button. Let's make a a hardware appliance. We've got all of our storage alliances. We could quite easily build something together and and go down the appliance route, the purpose-built backup appliance and go down there. But that isn't really going to be the most efficient, most cost-effective. It's not going to be the most flexible. By being able to offer the choice of bring your own hardware, bring your own um, OS or Linux distribution, that I think plays a lot better into the into what our customers actually want. We're not doing it to, uh, we're literally not doing it to make any extra money. Anyone that was on V10 bef- the day before yesterday can now be on V11. Not only do they get the ability to start leveraging the hardened Linux repository, they also get CDP up out the box as well. So yeah. there's quite like we're not doing this. Like I'm sure the sales guys would say different. But I believe and I think this is why this is a broader beam thing. I think why we're this is why we're successful is because we actually look after our customers. We want them to we want them to succeed with their backup or data management like strategy. We want them to 
be the best they can possibly be from from using our software. I think a good way to sort of talk about that is that, you know, during the, the live chat that we had during the launch event, there were so many questions that I saw that came in to say, oh, can we get this feature if we upgrade? How do we get this? How do we get that? You know what I mean? And so I think even of our own customer base, they're kind of expecting to pay more for these sorts of features, right? But no, every release, it's a very pertinent point. You just get these enhancements if you're on the right sort of license track, right? So I think it's an amazing credit to, to Veeam and why we've been quite successful, like Michael says. Um, we're not, we're not, you know, obviously, you know, price rises happen in software. It's, that's natural. We know that, that that comes into play and that's equal across all vendors in the industry. But it's very rare that, that we've released, say, a CDP feature and when gone, you know what, it's just going to cost you the same as what you were on last year. Go for your life. Yeah, and I, th- I mean, I think interestingly, the because um, there's a couple of things that in, in what you said there, Michael, around this kind of uh, immutable backup and, and hardened repository type of idea, and I think one of those was that you know the, the importance of not being tied to some specific infrastructure. You know, I touched on this with CDP a little bit. That you know, for me, one of the important conversations that I have with people is around this idea of changing your strategy to be a lot more data centric. You know, focus on the data, focus on. What is it I need for my data? How do I need to use it, secure it, protect it, et cetera? And I think a lot of that can be driven by if if one of the things that I want is I need immutability in my backup so that it can't be changed by ransomware. I think it's a great example of, of things that might change it that you really don't want going anywhere near your backups. That, you know, it's great to be able to have a focus on that and not be tied to, but I'm need to, I, I'm going to need to go and invest in all this infrastructure over here to, to have that. What we're talking about is, Actually, if I've got the right tools, I can just create a hardened repository with pretty much anything off the shelf and away I go. And that just allows me to have that focus. So so I think, again, that's a great credit to Veeam. And I think it's an important part of, of what I see look from the outside looking in. What I see is, you know, a, an important kind of core feature that runs through what, what Veeam are trying to do. So, um, well, let's let's kind of jump on to uh, the next feature that I, I wanted to talk about as well. And this was kind of, um, pr- again, probably playing on that idea a little bit about how people want to use their data. And this was kind of an extension of um, the ability to archive data and, and particularly to take advantage of some of the cloud capabilities because big archives on-prem can be difficult because they can be expensive and they, they need maintaining, whereas cloud services offer um, the potential to do that at big scale, relatively cheaply. So, Anthony, is that something uh, you, you can pick up on as well? Yes, yeah, so we're talking about the enhancements to the Scarlet Backup Repository. And, you know, again, we could talk about this alone for, you know, 45 an hour sort of situation. So I'll try and make this quick and to the point. But yeah, we haven't got that long. Effectively, um, what we're doing here is we're building on the technology that we introduced in 9.5 Update 4 with what was in the clouds here. We had the concept of offloading data from a performance tier um, to a capacity tier, um, which was backed by object storage, right? And we had a couple of um, options to start with. In V10, we added a different policy called the um, the copy policy as well. And we added immutability. So we've already talked about immutability and why that's important. So we've brought that into play. In V11, what we've done was we've added another tier. So basically now think of the performance tier, which is your landing zone. The capacity tier now becomes that short to medium term place to store your your data and then we've got the archive tier which is where you basically want to put it and basically almost forget about it forever just in case you know it's 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 set and forget only if you really require it and what what storage or cloud-based storage suits that the best it's something like 
um, Amazon S3 Glacier uh, or, or Deep Archive or Azure Blob Archive as well, right? So somewhere where it's very, very cheap, um, you know, cents per terabyte um, to store. And this is really going to help customers that had a problem because data was growing. We know that. It was getting more and more expensive to store because it was growing, but also from a from a, a, a compliance and regulatory point of view, it had to be stored for longer and longer, right? It was getting expensive. So we had to find a way how we could shift the bulk of that data That because when you think about it, in the case of a disaster or any sort of data recovery, in 99.9% .9 of the cases, you're going to be able to go to the first seven or 30 days to get your data. It's very rare that you go longer than that, right? So in effect, we're shifting the bulk of the data to a place where it's very cheap to store and you might never touch it. And now the flip side, if you do want to get it out, there's obviously some caveats and a few gotchas. Obviously, it's going to take a little bit more time, time for that first bite. And in the case of, say, Glacier or something like that, it's going to cost you a little bit more money to move the data from that, that deep freeze sort of location. So that's the whole point of it. It just effectively now means we've got three tiers of storage to drive a policy-based approach. Again, talking about policy, similar to what we you know, talked about with CDP, that mentality around a policy-based approach to backups. This fits in there. Um, the other thing we added as part of the capacity tier, which was something that I think, Michael, it's almost been forgotten, hasn't it, as, in, as, as, as a feature, but we added support for Google Cloud storage, right? Which Michael knows and I know that at every event when we used to go to events back in the, in the golden days, um, we used to get asked, when are you going to support Google Cloud Storage? Well, now we do um, for the capacity tier. So that's what's new in V11 um, in a nutshell around Scarlet Backup Repository. Yeah, and I, and I think, again, you know, and again, it, it kind of plays to this theme, doesn't it, about flexibility. So the idea, you know, like you say, although the, the, the GCP stuff has, you know, may, maybe not come with such a fanfare as some of, some of the other features, it's important because people are increasingly using Google, they're using Azure, they're using, uh, they're using AWS, and they want that flexibility because, you know, it does open up the possibility that they may want to put some data in one, and and you know archive data perhaps in another you know it's it's that kind of that kind of flexibility that's important to customers um you know and I, and I think that this is also a really good example i talk a lot about this idea of tactical cloud use so you know when we talk about cloud often people will look at the idea you mean i've got to move big swathes of my infrastructure into the public cloud well not really no what, what public cloud's really good at is picking up on the things that are hard to do on prem and actually, public cloud makes it relatively easy. It's easy to do. It's relatively cost effective. And I thought that piece actually you were talking about there where, um, you know, there is costs associated with maybe getting that data back out of a deep archive. Of course, that's a balance, isn't it? It's the balance between the cost it of is. doing that versus yeah. trying to do it on prem. And, and to that end as well, we've made, we've got some smarts in there. So we actually give you three options um, to actually get it out, right? So if you want it quick, you can have it quick but it's going to cost you a bit more. Or if you're happy to wait, you know, hours for that first bite, you can have it at a slightly cheaper rate to pull it out. So, and then there's a middle middle part as well. So we have actually, you know, built in enough smarts into it as well so that we give our customers flexibility when they have to pull that data out. So I love the way we've done that with our, with our object storage technology, even from the start, and Paul, you know this because you've, you've been to a lot of, you know, what we've, what we've been talking about for the past few years. We just didn't go, let's just use it as a target. Let's go direct and just dump 
big swathes of data there because that would be effective to get data from one place to the other. But then what can you do with that when the data is there? It's very limited. You've got to pull it back to a landing zone, et cetera, et cetera. All the smarts that we've built into the Scala Backer repository at the moment is the, the differential between our competitors in, in terms of what that does versus just pumping something to object storage just for the cheapness of it. Yeah, and again, I think that's a that's a huge part of the value proposition, isn't it? It's not just about dumping it somewhere and forgetting about it because people do want to be able to use that data in some way, you know. And I think the idea that that kind of capacity tier is just built into the interface that, you know, a Veeam backup administrator is used to seeing is an important part of, of driving its adoption, making it something we can realistically use. So, you know, I wanted to kind of jump on to one of the last kind of core tenants of the things that were announced um, with, with the V11 announcements, and this is the idea of of improving and adding to um, some of the instant recovery options. Because you know, while we've talked a lot about data protection here, of course, the key to data protection is being able to get this stuff back quickly and effectively. So, so Michael, is that is? Um, do you want to tell us a little bit more about some of the changing enhancements that we're, we're seeing in that instant recovery space? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I think. So obviously, from an instant recovery point of view, all of our focus has been over the last few years about how do we get things back as fast as possible instantly. Um, instant VM recovery, so taking a virtual machine back up and being able to spin that back up as fast as possible was kind of the first iteration. We've got the patent to, to do that using our vPower NFS. Then we've got the ability to take any of our image-based backups and instantly recover those to vSphere that came out in version 10 and we had some capability before that but that's basically taking any of our cloud-based workloads any agents for windows linux instantly recover those in so we had that so then it was time to go and start looking into well how can we make things faster around the database area in particular around sql in particular around oracle so and this is both virtual and physical sql and oracle boxes and we've always had, or we've had for a number of years, at least since I've been here, the ability to publish a SQL database, a single SQL database or multiple Oracle databases into, let's say a test and dev type environment where you could go and still use it, but it's not recovering it back into the production. Now we've got the capability of doing that, but just not as quick, not instant. So where we went one step further with, version 11 is taking that, that instant recovery approach but now we were able to take individual databases for both sql and oracle and throw them back into the production database server like within seconds and then a similar type way of being able to do that behind the scenes storage migration is also an option as part of that so that's the first and foremost and there's three things when it comes to instant recovery so just because I talk about databases first, it doesn't put them in a league table or anything like that because they're all equally important and they offer different use cases for what they do as well. So the second one is around Hyper-V. Now, everyone will laugh and say, well, I don't use Hyper-V, but actually every single Windows server, Windows client can be a Hyper-V machine. And now take that same functionality that I just mentioned around um, like being able to recover any workload instantly into vSphere, any image-based workload into vSphere. Well, now we can do it to Hyper-V. So now even just the Veeam backup server is a Windows machine. So if 
if things are that bad and we need certain workloads, let's instant re- instantly recover those into Hyper-V. And we're talking seconds here. We're not talking like minutes. And then you've got the ability to bring it over into a into the storage. But if you just need to get up and running, then let's leverage the backup storage for that. So that's really important for disaster. So just that, just, yeah, I mean, just confirm with that as well. So, so you're saying there that we could be backing up those VMs anywhere, but instantly recovering them to anywhere else? Yeah, yeah. So either instantly recovering them to vSphere, but not everyone's got a spare vSphere environment um, sat on the on the corner. Um, but everyone, like I mentioned, has the ability to start leveraging Hyper-V pretty easily if you've got clients or servers that you could just double up as a as a Hyper-V host. And then obviously we've got the ability to back those up and all of that good stuff. So it really opens the door to to those those scenarios. And even just having that as an option, having that in the back of your mind as a backup admin is a huge, like what well, should, I think it would be a, a huge like rest easy there um, type feeling. And then the third thing is around instant NAS recovery. Now I've been very heavily involved from a from a NAS backup point of view, obviously that came out in version ten, and it was something that we've been missing for years. A lot of customers have jumped on this and seen the power of the change file tracking and everything that we do there. Version eleven, there's in fact there's so much around NAS that only instant NAS recovery got got a shout out on the launch event yesterday. But there is so much more around storage integration and stuff for another time. I'm sure, Paul. We can. I'll, we'll set up another another podcast for it, right? Um, but uh, the biggest thing here is that we could let's say take a failure scenario for your production NAS. Ransomware could be physical, could be hardware outage. That means if that is out, and let's talk about V10 here as well. If that production NAS is is down, your users have no access to data in whatever way you want it. They may have some cache files on their local machine, but really they have no access, no read access to any of that data, especially if the ad, the IT team have, have severed the tie to whilst they, whilst they remediate. So what instant NAS recovery first and foremost does as a, let's call it a, a version one and most viable, uh, minimal viable product um, or feature is the ability to present that NAS share from the backup in a read-only state over SMB. And it is SMB only, and it is read-only, but we are exploring how that can be a more of a read-write, and we're also looking at NFS. But now, like so I know I've spoken to you about this, Paul. That's interesting for that, those failure scenarios. But now, and you know as well that I've got a huge foot in the beam data lab so leveraging the data doing stuff with that data in that in that that's always where my thoughts first go well let's take that instant nas recovery and let's just there's nothing wrong with the production nas but i want to actually run some scans against that backup i want to understand the data that i've got without harming or doing anything to my production and what that means is that we're just opening the door to do more with that data putting that data to work, like things like data classification, understanding what, what that data is, what the file types are, how long, how old it is, when it was last accessed, user. Like there's there's a 
so much information in that backup that we could just unearth by running scans against that, even open source scans as well. And that's just another open. And that wasn't the reason for the, the reason for the feature was that recovery scenario. And then this is just another, this is the, this is what I love about Veeam overall is that if, it, if I didn't find it, then someone else would have. Like, that's just the nature of Veeam is that the, we, we, the platform to lift and shift data from A to B from a backup perspective and give you all the restore functionality. But there is so much, so many other ways of being able to, I think we, me and Anthony call it the art of the possible. Um, like being able to pull out other use cases out of what we've already got or being able to bend it, bend it to do something that we want as well. That's another another thing. And I think that's another key point to to Veeam in general from a technology yeah. point of view. And, and and that's actually, you know, now part of our sort of tinkering job and, you know, moving forward, which is what we do is we, we'll get a piece of the tech, we'll get a bit of the tech um, feature set and we'll say, well, can we do something a little bit quirky with it? And maybe that leads to something else, right? And we've, we've done that historically over the past couple of years. Um, if you look at the work that we've done around the automation piece, um, working with infrastructure as code, we've done that around VMware Cloud and AWS. So there's some, some really cool things that the product can do that you don't know it can do until you dive a little deeper and get a little bit creative. So, And we love doing that. Um, hopefully, we can still do it more and more, Michael, but um, it gets harder the older we get <laughs> <laughs> yeah well we, we, we all hear that um you know uh, obviously though the way i'm going i'm going to end up to be i'll, I'll be younger than you two eventually um eventually. honestly uh of course it will um so um you know and, and I, but i do think i you know there's loads of great stuff in times kind of that instant recovery piece as well you know and, and, I, and actually I, I really like the way that you kind of wrapped up that that explanation in terms of you know, instant recovery is solving a point problem. You know, somebody's coming to us and saying, how quickly can I get things back online? Because that's important. You know, the idea that when we've had an outage, the key is quick recovery because we want the enterprise to be back up and running. You know, and I really like in a way with instant recovery that we can recover things. And then in the background, the kind of the true production recovery is going on because that allows us to be up and running, doing stuff. And then alongside that, recovering the, the true production environment to, to where we need it. But I think on top of that, the fact that we've been able to, again, take that kind of data focused approach that says our customers are asking, how do we do more with our data? How can we use this kind of data protection set that we've got and present it somewhere else so we can do, you know, like you said, data classifications or antivirus scans or present it to dev teams? You know, and I think that's that's, again, hugely valuable. And it kind of fits into what Anthony was saying as well in, in terms of. You know, it, it's it's that entire view of the way that, that Veeam likes to work as a software company, you know, looking at how software gives great flexibility. So, you know, and I think all of that has been, um, you know, has, has shown really well inside of a lot of the announcements from V11. Um, now, I'm looking at how long we've been chatting. Uh, you know, there's that much in V11, you know, and I, and I think when I, I watch the announcements, um, there was something like there's 20 pages or is it 25 pages of, of things that have been released inside of V11. We've talked about four, um, you know, and, and that's yeah. not a page each. Um, you know, so uh, so there, there will be ways that people can go and find out about that. And we'll, we'll kind of wrap up with that. And we did have a grand plan of talking about two or three other key features that you guys really like the look of. Um, but 
you know, been as uh, Anthony's in Australia, and it must be about three in the morning for him by now. <laughs> um, we 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 probably need to let him go. But um, so look, guys, um, you know, thanks thanks very much for your time. You know, I think Veeam have done an outstanding job of bringing V11 to market. Some really good features in there that um, you know, that I think people are going to embrace and want to use. You know, as you said, it's in response to to what your customers are, have uh, been looking for. So, but before we go, as we always do, guys, how how can people find out um, more about you? How can they come and hunt you down online? Michael, I'll start with you. So yeah, best place, fastest place is going to be Twitter at Michael Cade one. And then I also throw some blogs out there every now and again to vzilla.co.uk. And there's a link on there to a YouTube channel where I've been trying to, trying to grow and, and no one, no one wants to read too much anymore. So I'm finding that the video content is, is a good, a, a good outlet for, for sharing, sharing content. Yeah, and myself at Anthony Spiteri or anthonyspiteri.net. And, you know, right now I'm going to be pumping out the, the V11 blogs. I've already got a couple out there. So I, I did a What's New pretty much on GA in terms of my top 10 features. And then there's also a bunch of What Else Is New. So literally out of the 20 pages, I've picked about 20 literally things that are really significant. So when you look at that, that that's huge, right? So anthonyspiteri.net. Um and yeah, basically, otherwise find us at veeam.com um, or elsewhere. So yeah, and yeah, and anywhere you can, uh, anywhere you can find people, you'll find these. Um, not that there's that many places you can find people. Although Anthony has free reign to do what he likes, being in Australia now. So uh, good for him. Um, I'm going to go for a walk off- now. Yeah, well, we, it's all right. Yeah, you can go off, people. Stop telling everyone. Um, so, um, yeah, and, and actually, if people do want to get hold of V11, um, and I don't know whether the announcement event uh, that, that we've had, whether that's going to be available for people to go and replay, but uh, where can they find that if it is? Uh, you can go to still go to go.veem.com slash V11. That's go.veem.com slash V11. Geez, we're getting good at this, Michael. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, I have no idea. I hope you do. Yeah, um, so I think at the moment it's still gated. Um, so, you, but obviously, I think we'll clear that, and it'll be available um, just basically for everybody over the next couple of weeks. It's a really good way to look at what we did there, some of the demos. But otherwise, go to theme.com. If you've got all the entitlements, you'll be getting emails about the GA. And uh, yeah, go ahead, download, install it. Um, a lot of our customers do in the first three or four months. What is it, Michael? Eighty percent of our customers t- tend to upgrade yeah. in the first three to four months, which is also a feather in our cap. Well, it's, uh, well, guys, well, I yeah, re- really appreciate uh, your time. Um, and uh, I-, I guess we probably should wrap up now before um, everybody else switches off. So, um, Michael, Anthony, thanks for coming on and sharing lots of the V11 goodness. And uh, look forward to having you both on again some point in the future. Cheers, mate. I hope you enjoyed that. For show notes, pop over to techstringy.com. We'll also find all of our previous Tech Interviews episodes. And if you've got an idea for a show or'd like to appear as a guest, then why not email me at podcast at techstringy.com. And to make sure you catch the next episode of Tech Interviews, then why not subscribe? You can subscribe in all good homes of podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher and Spotify. And for the video version of the show, over on YouTube. So until next time, thanks for listening. Listening.